Every Sunday morning, while many of you may be having breakfast or getting your shower, uh, there are a team of people here. There's tech folks in that booth, and there are folks who have already rehearsed privately, and now they're rehearsing together uh, to bring you this kind of worship and to be able to share that with us, whether you're uh, at home right now or whether you're in this room. Uh, this is such a powerful blessing and a time for us. After this worship service, when you're on your way, probably not to a restaurant anymore, but maybe home or to a takeout, uh, there are folks who stay behind to clean all of these surfaces, to count the gifts, the money that you've brought in. Uh, there are folks who take care of a hundred other details and come up during the week and volunteer their time. It's not just this moment or what you see, but it's a lot of folks doing a lot of things. And I think that is one of the most beautiful expressions of love uh, that the Lord's given us. So thank you, all of you who do so much behind the scenes that's never uh, noticed or maybe even thought much about by those of us who just kind of roll in. Uh, but it's, it's a big part and almost uh, a metaphor of what we're going to talk about today when we talk about uh, the body of Christ and how God has created us to function uniquely within the context of relationships. One of the most well-known family feuds in America is this long-lasting conflict uh, between two West Virginian families. You probably already know where I'm going. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. Uh, what started, well, there are several issues and annoyances they had between one another, but what really brought it into focus was a, a problem over a pig. <laughs> and that ended up causing over a hundred years worth of grief and argument and hatred. These two families became embroiled in one of the longest and most infamous uh, disagreements in the history of our country. And no matter where you live, you've probably heard of them. You're familiar with them. Now, the feud... Um, sort of ended, came to, came to an end in 1891. That's, it had already been going on for a long time. They shook hands in 1976. Okay, still a little bit of animosity there, still some lingering feelings, but it wasn't until Saturday, June 14th, 2003, 1891-2003, that they marked the official end to the Hatfield and McCoy feud because the two families signed a treaty. They, they made a truce between themselves. They had a new covenant. Rio Hatfield and Bo McCoy drafted this treaty, and it proclaimed this. Uh, I'll just read you one line, that these families do hereby and formally declare an official end to all hostilities implied, inferred, and real between the families now and forevermore. It was over. 
It was over, finally. And it was declared to be so publicly. The book we've been studying this summer and looking at is the book of Ephesians, and it's one of several letters that Paul wrote reaffirming the fact that God has established a new treaty with us, a new covenant, a new testament. And we're not under the old covenant anymore. And just as these family members released each other from all past offenses, and there was forgiveness, and there was this moment where they began to turn and move towards one another instead of away from one another, that is exactly Exactly, except in a much bigger and more powerful way what God has done in our life. And this week's passage really addresses how God reconciles this long-standing hostility between two groups of people. And, and I think this, this illustrates the animosity and the distance that we experienced with God before Christ. These two people were so far apart in every way. It was racial. It was ethnic. It was political. It was religious. There was so much animosity and hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. All these years later, thousands of years later, we're familiar with this because it ran so deep. Their hatred for one another was immense. And I know that over the past several weeks, years and decades, you've seen the fruit of hatred and you've seen what happens when people don't forgive and lean into one another but away. And it creates anger that only begets more anger. The Jews had a saying. This is just, a, just, it's just one thing among many things. They had a saying that God created Gentiles as the fuel for the fires of hell. That was their purpose. That was one of the nicer things that they said, but it's a clue of how deeply they resented one another. It was said that if you walked past, uh, if you were a Jew and you walked past a Gentile woman and she was giving birth and needed assistance, you were not allowed to help her because all you would be doing would be bringing another Gentile into the world. That's how deeply this resentment ran. I want to read for you a scripture that, um, that Paul wrote that talks about the fact that God is bringing healing and peace even to two races who resented one another so much. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And I'm going to read it all the way to the 22nd verse because I think you need to hear the whole thing. Uh, this is powerful and just spirit-filled. Paul said this, Therefore, remember... <laughs> That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So, making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit, Here's the big idea behind today's message. God reconciles not only himself to us, but God reconciles people to each other. I believe it's only through Jesus. When we walk out today, here's how we'll apply that to a community, to a world that desperately needs to hear from us, the followers of Jesus. When we're walking in fellowship with God, we can walk in fellowship with one another, with other believers, in spite of all our differences. And I know there are a lot of differences. That's okay. Paul talks about in this passage those who are Uh, The word far means far, far away, at a distant place. And then he says, those people can be brought near. And that word near is a fascinating word because it means at your fingertips. It means he brings you within touching distance. Last week when we left this room, um, someone said, Ah, I love being back together in worship where we physically see each other, but I just want to hug you so badly. And I understand. You know, when someone in your family or a friend has a new baby, now I'm afraid I'm going to break the baby, but there is something within us that says, can, can I hold her? And your heart just melts when they put that baby in your arms. There's something about that touch. There's something about when my grandsons come over and spend the night 
which they love doing, and we haven't figured out why they like that so much, except that the world is their oyster. They get to do and have and eat whatever they want. But when it comes time at night, and we, we get in the guest room, and I get between them, and I tell them what is a chief story, I'll explain that another day. It's just a story about a childhood dog that has gone greatly beyond the bounds of reality. Lots of imagination for Chief the Wonder Dog. And they cuddle up to me. And they don't want me to leave, and they know if they fall asleep, I will. <laughs> so... They wrap themselves, they entwine themselves around me. Do you remember your grandparents? Do you remember your aunt? I had an aunt, Wanda, and she would always take my face in her hands and just jiggle it. <laughs> and when you're a child, you endure. You know, when your mother tells you, go give Uncle Marin a hug, and you think, oh, I'm scared to death of that man. I do not want to hug him, but he wants to hug you. I can keep going. God wants you close. He wants you near. And that's what this word means. God says, I don't want you near just theoretically or theologically or doctrinally. I don't want you just to agree with me. Come here. Come here. He puts his arms out and he draws you in. He says, you were once his enemy. You were once hostile towards him and your spirit. And there was nothing that brought you together until... The blood of Jesus was spilled. And then God says, come here. I'm going to bring you close. I want to bring you near. That's what this word means. I want you at my fingertips. It took me a long time to get used to my father-in-law because I was raised in a home where we just did not touch each other. We didn't say things verbally. We didn't express love. We didn't, we didn't hug a lot. We didn't do those kind of things. My father-in-law was not wired that way. We would sit on the couch together, and we could be two or three feet apart. He would reach over and just touch my shoulder, and he would just start to, to rub or massage me. And when I first started, I thought, what, what are you, whoa, 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 what are you, what are, why are you touching me? You know, you're in my zone. But after a while, I began to like that. They were such an affectionate family, and they went, well, I'm going to go check the mail. Oh, come here, let me give you a hug before you go. And I'm just walking to the end of the driveway. I know, but we're going to see you for a little while. And then they come in, and, you, oh, you're back with the mail. Come here, and they just hug. You know what? This is, this is the community. This is going to be the atmosphere of heaven. And some of you think we're going to be standing at attention in white robes and, and, and just singing unfamiliar songs or saying the same mantra over and over. No, I think there's going to be a lot of affection. God sent Jesus to die for you so that he could bring you near to himself. That's what Paul says. He says, now we have, in verse 18, access to God the Father. I don't know if you've ever had access to somewhere that other people didn't. I used to help sponsor concerts. I was the family minister here in Knoxville, so when a Christian concert would come, my job was to involve churches and to get churches on board, and so one of the perks of that is that they would give me a backstage pass. And every now and then, I'd get to introduce the artist. I felt so important. 
I know some of you probably don't remember bands, but like DC Talk came to town, and I got to hang out with them for the day, and we threw football. I got to bring my son. We ate dinner with them, and, and they gave him some musical instruments and things, and oh, we just had the best time. And I remember being up on stage going, yeah, I'm up here, yeah. You know, there's access. Listen, Jesus died so that you could have access not to any celebrities or any other personalities, but that you could have access to God. And the word access literally means access to your face. You know, like the new iPhone, you just hold it up and it sees your face. You don't have to touch, you don't have to do anything. It recognizes you. And it says, okay, I'll open up. <laughs> okay, you have access to this phone now because of your face. Your face, when you stand before God, he's going to see your face that he uniquely created. He's going to say, oh, there you are. And you are so beautiful. And I love your face. And your face is all you need. You don't need a passport. You don't need a visa. You don't need a ticket. You don't need a letter of introduction. God just says, your face is access to my face. And we will see, as Paul says in another place, Jesus face to face. I cannot wait to see Jesus. And he likens our unity with God now and with other believers. He uses these metaphors because he just can't sum it up. He can't, he can't describe it. He goes, okay, it's, it's like a human body. And, and it's all fit together, and, and you're all, you know, there's these different parts, but you're, but you're one thing, you're just one. He goes, well, it's like that. Oh, well, it's, it's also like national citizenship. He goes, it's like, you know, we're all Americans, and we celebrated our freedom yesterday. Yesterday, 4th of July, and we said, we're American. And we looked at each other and go, America, you know, and, and, we, and we have this, this in common, or whatever country you're from. And then he says, you know, it's also like a house. And there's all these different parts to a house, and there's appliances, and there's the brick and the mortar and the roof and all that. He said, well, you put it all together, and it's a house. And he said, you are a house, and you're built on a strong foundation and cornerstone, and that's Jesus. That's what part of the house he is. Rachel Jones was and is a missionary to Africa. Has gone back and forth and has spent so much time there that when one of her daughters came back and they went to a fair in Minnesota and there was a sign over one of the booths and it said African food. And this little girl with red hair and freckles and pale complexion ran up to the booth and she said, I'm African. <laughs> because she identified with the country where she was born and grew up in. Rachel said this, because of the cross, Christians know where we're headed, and because of the cross, we are guaranteed citizenship. It is the country that we belong in, the home and land we've been looking for all our lives. The color of our passport is blood red. And our eternal visa has already been irrevocably stamped in. 
She said she spent much of her early years in Africa trying to create a home for her family. And she said, when I packed, I agonized over how much of America do I stuff and can I get into Ziploc baggies. So then I realized something. Whether I'm in America, whether you're in China, or India, or Latin America, or Europe, you're not home yet. My kids aren't home yet. The home I live in, no matter on which side of which ocean, no matter on what continent, it's not my kingdom. And it's not my refuge. It's just a house. It's just a building. Even more, it's the very space where I have opportunity to teach my children and my children's children. This isn't our home. We're not there yet. I could spend a lifetime trying to create the illusion of home for my family. Rachel said she could talk through passport identity, parents' home country identity, third culture kid identity. And she said, and we do have those conversations, but they're not the focal point. Instead, I try to emphasize their eternal identity. And that's what I want you to focus on today. Who you are in Christ is bigger than who you are in any other way. Scholar, poet, author, and speaker Dan Riley once said, My true identity can't ever be constructed around my past experiences, my race, my gender, my nationality, or my accent. I am a citizen of heaven. My core identity is first and foremost who I am in Jesus. I have lots of friends from lots of different places. And we speak with different accents and we use different words. But we find our unity and our bond and our love in Jesus. Ephesians 2.19 is this this precious verse for refugees. And, you know, we have a welcome house across the street where we open up our doors for refugees and try to help them get settled and to find a place of peace, sometimes an escape from violence or harm, or just a place where they can, can have a life in this world for a while. Ephesians 2.19 says... You are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and with the members of the household of God. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Welcome home. Welcome home. This is the citizenship. This is the home. This is the community that is of ultimate value and of importance. And with Jesus himself 
being the cornerstone, it is gloriously, profoundly unshakable. Visas won't have to be applied for and your passport can't be removed or renewed. It doesn't need to be. When we recognize our heavenly identity, we connect with something that was true for Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, for Moses, for Rahab, for all of the heroes that are listed in <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. And it's especially true for every New Testament believer today in every nation on the face of the earth. People who are convinced that their citizenship is in heaven are the kind of people who acknowledge we're no longer strangers. You fit in. You connect. You're one. We're not exiles. Only here on earth. <laughs> For people who speak like that, we can make clear that we're seeking a homeland. And I've wondered about this. It'll be a place so new and exciting. And some of you have been to a place that maybe you've seen pictures of and videos of. And, and you feel like you, you've almost been there, but not quite, until you step onto that place. And there's something brand new about it, but yet something wonderfully familiar. I, I, I don't even know how to think about that. But I have this feeling that when you get to heaven you're going to feel at home. And I've heard folks say, oh, you know, this is what I know, and this is all I'm comfortable with. I think it is for now. But it's almost like a baby not wanting to ever leave the womb. You know? I've been here nine months. It's all I know. I'm perfectly comfortable. Thank you very much. You know, what if Quinn or, or one, one of our other new babies, what if... This, that, you know, I, I'm just going to stay here. And you think, no, this is, trust us, you're going to like everything outside of this womb so much better than what you like now. You don't even know about chocolate. You don't even know about peanut butter. You don't even know about watermelon. You don't even know about sunshine and all these other things. I believe heaven's going to be a familiar place, but it's going to be something fantastic. And we'll feel right at home there. There's so many songs. I think of the old Southern Gospel songs that talk about that land which we've headed for and we've thought about. And then we have an opportunity to return to. It's a better country. Hebrews eleven thirteen says this. These all have died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, I love this line, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, for us, 
a city just for us. I'm a longtime fan of C.S. Lewis. The first thing I ever read was Mere Christianity. And then I read a couple of his other books. I think The Problem with Pain and I think uh, God in the Dock. But then someone introduced me to his fiction. He wrote a series of children's books uh, that are very allegorical and they're, they're just wonderful. Uh, if, if you've never read them, you're missing out. Even if you're an adult or if you've read them before, I don't know how many times I've read them. I can't wait till my grandchildren are old enough to be able to comprehend, especially British language written in the 50s, you know, so that they can hear and enjoy these stories. But toward the end of these stories, in the very last book, it's called The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis, there is a talking horse <laughs> named Jewel. And Jewel describes his homecoming like this. I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. Because of the cross, Christians, we know where we're headed. And because of the cross, we are guaranteed our citizenship. It's the country we belong in. It's the home we've always longed for. It's the land we've been looking for all our lives. And all believers can have this, this complete, this full confidence, this, this profound comfort that because of Christ, God will not be ashamed to be called our God. Don't identify yourself with what you've done in the past, with the old you, with the old covenant. You're in a new covenant. All that's been forgotten, all that's been forgiven. God sees you through the filter, through the lens, the eyes of Jesus. And he has prepared a place for for you and for me. I believe this is the glue, this is the weld, this is the bond that will bring us peace. I pray to the Lord it's in our generation. I grew up in North Memphis. I've told you that so many times. I was about a mile away on April 4th, 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. I remember those days. There was a speech he gave once. It was on Easter Sunday in 1958. He said this. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus gives us a deep peace 
and a unity with God and therefore with one another, with each other. Whatever our backgrounds, whatever our heritage, our denominations, our differences, Jesus can bring peace. And I think he's the only one who can bring peace. We share the same spirit, the same godly DNA within us. We should be able to live together in peace and in love.